Magalhães to Stokes, he's onside! Wagner! Here's Sims. It's a good serve this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Hello and welcome. It is episode 68 of the Saints FC podcast. Um, I am absolutely delighted to say that we are joined on the Saints FC podcast this week uh, with Freddie from our good friends at The Ugly Inside, who are also broadcasting this podcast live out on their YouTube channel. And we think that there's now audio going out on that and that's a good thing. Indeed, there is uh, audio now, John. I'm hearing a bit of a delay, but there is about 20 seconds delay. But it's good to see people already in the chat. In the chat, so uh, this will be audio only. So if you're expecting to see our funny faces, uh, you'll only be seeing the face of radio today. I'm unfortunately, folks. <laughs> uh, but do definitely get your questions in on the chat if you do want to interact with us live. Um, if you're just catching up um, through your normal podcasting channel, uh, we're going to be experimenting a little bit with this over the course of the season um, and trying to broadcast the Saints FC podcast live as we record it as well. Uh, A little bit of fun, hopefully makes it a little bit more interactive as well. Um, There have been a few technical difficulties as we've got this going, as those of you who listen to uh, me and Tom discussing the preview podcast. Um, Anyway, Freddie, extra good news is... There's some free beer on offer. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah. You, you sound <laughs> like a man who likes free beer. So I, those, I of you, free beer. those of you who've been listening to the podcast for long enough might remember we had beer52.com sponsoring us before. They are coming in with another round of sponsorship again, beer52.com forward slash saints. Um, that's the web address that you go to. And what happens when you go there? Well, you can get yourself a free crate of craft beer from all over the world um the beer 52 people boast that they traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet earth has to offer they get them from all over the world also do loads of uk stuff um this month is all uk based beers or i think you have to include ireland in that um and so what what do you have to do to get hold of these 10 free beers freddie Go to beer52.com uh, forward slash saints and just pay for the postage. Postage is £4.95, so less than 50 pence per beer if you're including the, the, the cost of the postage. It's a fantastic deal, actually. And to tell you the truth, I've tried it and abused it a few times before. Uh, and you, and this is by no means a paid sponsorship for me, uh, but you can get two selective boxes. You can select a dark box, which will give you a box of sort of stouts and porters. So if you're into your rich sort of chocolatey tones and and flavors uh, then you can choose that one or you've also got the lighter box which gives you a selection of sort of golden pale ales or indian pale ales or if in, if you're into your sort of really flavorsome kind of hoppy beers uh, it's my favorite my it's my personal favorite is the lighter tone so um yeah get get on it folks beer52.com slash saints 
Absolutely. Wonderful, Freddie. Thank you for that. Um, chipping in, helping me advertise <laughs> and getting a little bit of extra cash for the Saints FC podcast so we can carry on doing this. Right. What's better than free beer, Freddie? Uh, sorry, mate. We, we have a bit of a delay there. What, what, what's, what's better than free beer? Uh, three points, I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Correct answer. There we go. Um, so Saints racked up their first victory of the season at the weekend with a 2-0 win um, away to Brighton. Normally I like to do these kind of podcasts in chronological order. Do we want to cover the Liverpool game first and then go to Brighton away? So like build up towards a crescendo of enjoyment. Or do we want to start with Brighton away, Give you know, go heavy at the start and then speak a little bit about Liverpool? Hey, we don't want to start on a downer, do we? So, I mean, if, let's rewind two weeks and go. But go to the, go to I guess five o'clock last uh, Saturday before last, and we can I guess uh, dissect the Liverpool positives, and then we can end on the crescendo of three points. Yeah. So, turning it around. Um You've probably all seen the highlights of the game uh, against Liverpool. If you weren't there yourself, um, <clears throat> it was an interesting game. Jason Dickey, one of our regular listeners, he emailed in saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. And the essence of his email is this was kind of same old Saints. It was very, very typical. You know, we play really well. We create lots of chances. We don't take our chances. We have horrible errors and... We end up losing a game, but playing quite well and having better XG and all, all, all of these things. But we can be positive about it, can't we? Because they they are well currently they're they're beating Man City. I know we're only three games into the season, and hopefully the current positions in the Premier League table won't tell you anything about the final league positions in the Premier League table. Otherwise, Saints are in trouble. But Liverpool are good, aren't they? Uh, Liverpool are class above, aren't they? There's a huge gulf between the, I guess. The I mean, there's a huge gulf already now between the top two sides in the division in Liverpool and Man City, between the next four clubs in, I guess, Spurs, Arsenal, United and Chelsea. They seem to be uh, miles away from the standard that Liverpool and Man City are setting. And I guess you could say um, the rest of the division are, I guess, universes away from the, the standard of football that they've, they've set um, but I think fair play to Saints. We gave them a good run for their for their money and gave them certainly a scare uh, in the last sort of fifteen minutes of the game, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, obviously you were at St Mary's for the game, Freddie. I gave up my uh, my ticket for uh, for my brother in law who was an away fan in the home end. Apologies for everyone for that. Oh, <clears throat> he does John. behave himself. <laughs> Uh-huh. I have made sure of it. So he get, he gets very very strict orders. He's not allowed to um <clears throat> not allowed to show any sort of emotion uh towards Liverpool. Um but you know let's let's quickly skit over that. But you know the Liverpool uh management team and the Liverpool players and the Liverpool fans actually have quite a lot of respect for Southampton because at the end of last season we gave them a scare despite losing 3-1 and this season again we, we've given them a bit of a scare I think they were better than us for long parts of the game but also we were better than them for long parts of the game as well and I th- probably about midway through the first half up to half time we were better than them certainly we finished stronger than them um I mean what what, what did you make of it 
Uh, well, I guess it was a bit of a sandwich, really, wasn't it? Uh, I guess we sort of grew into the game for the most part of the first half. Played some good football, pressing hard the pitch, pushing the uh, defence into mistakes. Uh, but it was a real sort of sucker punch, wasn't it? Just before the half-time whistle, Sadio Mane uh, with absolutely no lift actually on that sort of ping that he he puts in the top corner, uh, gun clutching at thin air. But I guess, you know, uh, I mean, it's a bit of a sucker punch, isn't it? Go, to go into the break at half-time, uh, having sort of, uh, ascended into the into the game in the first half, but then when we come out after the break, we didn't. We were still asleep. I think we we're still napping from from the break. You know, I thought, would have thought Ralph would have been in the lads at half time, uh, and I guess Liverpool sort of took the advantage. I mean, Firmino, if we look at that goal, he had sort of two chances before he actually pulled the trigger to slot it away for two nil. Yeah, I, and to be honest, I think once it got to two nil, I thought we were pretty much dead and buried, mm. and. And I, I think this is the thing that I really take the most heart from is that we that we weren't. We still kept going. We still kept pressing. Uh, Danny Ings got his reward for his pressing. And um, I think it was Match of the Day did some quite nice analysis of this. Or No, it wasn't Match of the Day. <laughs> it was Carl Anker on The Athletic did some very nice analysis of uh, this goal and how we'd successfully pressed Liverpool and how it was a sign of the kind of like tactical work that, that Hasenhut was doing. And we got our reward. And then... You would have thought, though, that how could Danny Ings miss that chance at the end? I mean, Freddie, that's the kind of chance that I suspect... I've never seen you play football, but I'm pretty sure you'd be able to bang that one in. I think uh, most people would say even my nan could uh, could finish that, that that opportunity. You know, I mean, to be fair to me, it's come at him such a, such a speed. He's not had the time to kind of adjust his feet. That's what I'm defending, I guess. Uh, but it's the type of opportunity. I know you're well into your XG. That's that's got to be up there in almost a, a full one, right? That's yeah. how it works, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's kind of in the harder to miss than it is to score there. Mm. Um, but, you know, had he put that ball on the back and that would have seen a historic victory, in fact. 2-2, two, two, as you say, sort of appearing dead and buried after Firmino's second goal we've worked so hard to get back into the game and as you mentioned you know we've finished the game I guess as a stronger team growing into it and it could be said that Liverpool's exploits in Europe earlier that week were coming back to sort of haunt them now don't don't give them an excuse Freddie they've got all this money to throw around they've been nabbing our players they should be able to cope with European football and playing with us but you know is it interesting you bring up XG because we did outscore Liverpool on XG um you know maybe a shame that that's not how we get our results, but that's not football. Um, and it's interesting as well, in the game against Burnley that we lost 3-0, we also outscored them on XG. And uh, to, to, to be honest, I don't think many people really understand the whole XG criteria. Um, I guess it's very it's a very niche. Should, shall I have another go? I mean, because I've tried to explain this to Tom <laughs> so many times. It basically rates the, rates the the quality of the chances you have, doesn't it? So... That Danny Ings chance where you're dead in front of goal and it's almost like if you played that chance 10 times over, then, you know, they would score it nine times. So therefore, and miss it once and therefore your XG would be 0.9 because nine times out of 10, you'd, you'd get it. And then Southampton's XG score against Liverpool, I think, was just over two. So you know, that would have been one that we'd expected. I guess the other one would have been the one that we'd have expected to score as well, the one that he did score. 
Mm. But it's those types of chances that um, I guess we need to be clinical. We need to take our chance. And it's fine margins, as somebody mentioned on our reviews and, and everything else. Those are the sorts of uh, opportunities that sort of come begging or at least come back to sort of haunt us later on in the season. Um, hopefully we're not ruining this chance later on in April or, or May. Hopefully we're not anywhere near that relegation scrap. I think it's quite unfair to say the R word at this stage of the season anyway. Uh, but I think those are the opportunities that we need to take. Um, and Danny Ings will be, would have been pulling his air out uh, when come that final whistle. Yeah, absolutely. But... When you were heading off to Brighton on Saturday, mm-hmm. were you feeling negative? Were you th- feeling really worried? Or did you think that the game that you'd seen against Liverpool showed you that we were already moving in the right direction, already recovering pretty well from the first game against Burnley? Yeah, well, so let's write off the first game. Um, it was a total anomaly, if you like. Uh, but I guess Burnley played to their advantage in the wind and rain conditions. We couldn't do with it at all. But the last 15 minutes or the last quarter of an hour, well, it's the same thing, really, thing, uh, of the Liverpool game gave us a bit of hope and optimism, didn't it? You know, uh, And fair play to Saints. We've come out again straight out of the traps. Well, a bit slow to start, in fact, against Brighton. But we we grew into the game. Uh, we, we managed to get into our rhythm of things against Brighton. And if we can keep this consistency then we will be uh, certainly a tough team to beat uh, over the course of the season. Yeah, so I, I want to pick up on, on that because you would have thought, seeing how well we finished against Liverpool, apart from the finishing, um, you'd have thought we would have started quite well against Brighton. But Brighton, they're playing pretty well under Graham Potter. Um, Ex-Saint, I think, what was it, like eight games back in the mid-90s uh-huh. he, he played for us. But we didn't start well, did we? Uh, fun fact, before we get on to Brighton, Graham Potter actually featured in the 6-3 demolition of Man United. Uh, I think you might remember an Ayo Berkovic hat-trick on the day and and to, no, to I guess... Was it, no, it was Egil Ostenstadt's hat-trick. Ayo Berkovic sorry. two. Yeah. Uh, he still scored though, didn't he? Two and two's got the other one. But uh, truth be told, that was not the grey shirts game. Um, a lot of people get that uh, confused, I guess. But Moving into Brighton, though, yes, yeah, certainly gave us some optimism uh, from the Liverpool game. And, uh, you know, Graham Potter, he got his team, uh, they started quite well, didn't they? Four points in the first two games, a 3-0 win away at Watford. And, you know, a draw against Orsett West Ham. And you thought that the Brighton, I think they were probably a favourite before kickoff um, on Saturday. And to be honest... Um, I wasn't feeling too confident, so I, at three o'clock on Saturday, I, I would have taken a point. Really? That, see, that that surprises me. I mean, I, I predicted that we would draw this one in a, my little kind of like chat group. Um, but fair play to my, my brother and my dad both predicted two nil wins for Saints, as did Mark Lawrenson. So you know, I think wow. it's, it's it's terrible, isn't it, when he gets it right. Um, I, mean, I think we, I think we, I think us as Saints fans, we, we kind of overthink things, don't we? Yeah. We sort of think about all criteria and opportunities missed, opportunities gained, xG stats, everything that comes into the equation of a Saints fan. And I think um, generally we're a sort of pessimistic, pessimistic bunch, aren't we? We sort of fear for the worst. So coming off the back of two defeats in the, in the first uh, for the start of the season would wouldn't give us too much optimism no no but 
the, the funny thing is, it was a pretty poor start. But do you, do you think the tackle, was it and, and Donay on Valerie? I mean, was that the turning point for us? Brighton going down to 10 men. Or were they still better than us, you know, right through until at least part way through the second half? I think it was certainly a turning, a turning point. And to be honest, if we look at that, uh, firstly, it was a disgusting, disgraceful challenge, uh, well above his knee. And I think Valerie has come off as a precaution in that second half. Um, but Andoni deserves everything that he's got for this uh, three-match ban. And apparently the FA might even look into it a little bit further because of the conduct of it. And even the Brighton fans that I spoke to after the game and shared a drink with, good lads, actually, the, the chaps from the Albion Raw who we spoke to for our preview show, really were, were saying so many sort of nasty things about Andoni. So they're kind of uh, brushing the hands of him, you know, washing their hands with Andoni. They don't want to see him play for the football club if he's going to really? make wow. a tackle. Yeah, going to make tackles like that. So the the Brighton supporters... I mean, it, it, uh, it did look like Valerie was lucky to come away with both legs after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not only that, he tried to sit on him to try and hide him from the referee. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't going to work, was it? <laughs> Uh, but, you know, fair play to Graham Potter after the game. He's apologised. Um, I don't think he saw too much of it. Otherwise, I don't think he would have shook his hand as he as he come off the field on Saturday because it was right on the other side of the pitch from the dugouts. Um, I guess he's obviously seen it back on the replays and he's, he's, he's as disgusted as the fan base are as well. So, um, and I mean, if we look at the game as well, I think we almost invited him back into the game. And uh, funnily enough, we... We got the VAR decision for us. Uh, dunk with the header on the corner with the one of the most blatant offsides and sort of uh, goalkeeper interference you'll see all season. Um, yeah, yeah, people are still complaining about that though, aren't they? This it's a, it's it's a clear and obvious decision. You know, you, you cannot deny that one. But even at the time, uh, we were still unsure what was happened here. Um, in real time, it looked like it was an offside position, but they had to go to VAR just to uh, guess. Uh, sort of please the 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 person uh, the the I mean uh, just to please the referee's job, you know, um, just to give them sense of satisfaction. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's it's pretty weird, isn't it? But I mean, how, how did it feel in the stadium? Kind of, did you think they were going to get a goal, or were you pretty confident that VAR was going to turn that around? Uh, I think we were pretty confident it was going to turn around. Anybody could see it from all around the ground, could see it was a clear and obvious offside. But they had to go to VAR because of those are the decisions that are, that are, yeah, I guess, that are a hot topic right now. But, I mean, even at 10 men, we sort of tried to make a hard work of it, didn't we? You know, we, we haven't been sort of, uh, I guess, convincing in our victories, even in the last sort of six months before the end of the season. Uh, was always sort of making hard work of it, even the Huddersfield at, at the end of the season, a, a, a team that was already dead and buried coming away with a point. Um, just sort of typical Saints, uh, I guess, inviting the, the team back into the into the into the football game. But we've come back out of the second half, straight at the traps, and I'm sure we'll get on to Gineppo in a moment. Yeah, I mean Gineppo, incredibly exciting. That second half, I mean, before we get on to Gineppo. Do you think the system was working better, the four-two-two-two? Which, I mean, he, Ralph, kind of used it successfully last season against Brighton. Did it work better today than last time round, or 
is, is it the best we've seen the system working? And I, I suppose the other thing as well, Freddie, which I don't know if you can in kind of shed some light on, how did it look as the players were set up? Because if if you looked at the kind of team lineup, you wouldn't have necessarily thought that was a four two 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 formation that was going to be played. You would have thought mm. it was kind of maybe a five three two or or a five four one type formation. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, when the teams were announced at three o'clock, I think at uh, two o'clock, I think we we're all surprised to see Danso start left back. But fair play to him, he was composed, looked quite natural in that position. And really put a foot wrong. I think he gave the ball away maybe once or twice in the first sort of 15, 20 minutes. But other than that, it looked quite composed and quite natural in that position. Uh, obviously, we're not going to expect him to get forward and have those marauding overlapping runs like we see from Bertrand or Valerie on the other side. But it almost appears that we are uh, light in options at fullback at the moment. Uh, but I mean, Ralph's come out after the game and said, hey, I was going to do that anyway. So I don't know whether he's just saying that because it happened anyway. Uh, it's like saying... That's sort of I told you so, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. And then also the the way we finished the game in terms of lineup, I thought was quite interesting because he brought Jack Stevens on, um, and then obviously we had like Redmond, Gineppe, and Buffon all on the pitch mm. at the same time, all kind of quite similar ish players, or you kind of kind of expect similar outputs from them. How how does how was that working at the end? Because it looked like the kind of thing that would be terribly frightening for an opposition defender, but also maybe quite appealing for an opposition attacker. Yeah, I mean, those three are luxury players. I don't think we can afford to have them all on the, all on the pitch at the same time. And as you say, it's frightening for defenders. And we've, we've seen already now that three of them working together to score that third goal, uh, even where I guess both the goals, in fact, Gineppo straight off the bench with almost his first touch. Uh, Buffal combining with Redmond for the second goal, and it's a frightening proposition. But I don't know. I don't know how and where we're going to fit him into the four-two-two-two formation. Do we play Redmond up front as a centre forward alongside Ings and Adams, or one of them going to be pushed out? And to be honest, I'm not sure Gineppo and Buffal will be able to put in the hard work to track back and really push up high on the pitch of the intense sort of approach that Ralph demands. I mean, that, that's an interesting point because. There, there were some signs that Gineppo was willing to do the tracking back. I think he made some, some tackles and challenges and interceptions in, in <laughs> after he came on. There was also one where he did very, very well in our own box, but it also left me kind of a little bit with my fist in my mouth of just like, oh, if he gets that wrong, that's a penalty yeah. to Brighton. And um, having a little look back at his uh, performances at Standard Liège, he does like a yellow card, Gineppo. Indeed, yes. I mean, he's come on now twice and he's got two yellow cards, right? I think that's um, something close to. But there was one thing that made me laugh, actually. He's been on the pitch just after his goal, actually. He's running around like a headless chicken, full of energy. And he, uh, the, the foul was comedic, you know. He just clumsily clatters into the defender. Uh, he sort of struggled to sort his feet out and he gets a yellow, yellow card for his efforts. <laughs> and here's the big question. Is Gineppo the real deal? Well, we've been asking that question this week on our website. Is is Gineppa the new Mane? For me, I don't think we should be so hastily uh, making this decision already. Um, great, he's already had this impact uh, sort of in his second game. But give him some time. Let's see the consistency. I think we should keep our feet on the ground at the moment. 
you know, uh, Musa Gineppo has got a lot of uh, potential, and that's the word that we all always sort of throw around the place. But let's see how he develops. Let's see if he can make create more goals, and then we can start uh, running that label against his name. Is he the new Mane? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Do you really want someone to be the new Mane, or maybe he's just going to be the Gineppo, and we'll be yeah. talking about Gineppo? You know, and, and we'd have forgotten money and then people would kind of go oh were you there when that Premier League fastest hat trick happened you'd be like oh yeah who was that guy yeah oh yeah Mane man this Gineppo guy's great isn't he you know that's kind of where we want to be getting to I think we're forgetting as well that Sadio Mane played uh, he's con- he was so inconsistent you know mm. he, he'd score sort of two three goals a uh, burst of goals a flurry of goals at the beginning of the season and then he went absolutely quiet sort of over the Christmas period and winter and then came back out again in the spring. So he hibernates. So let's hope Gineppo doesn't do that. Yeah, I mean, two kind of like wonderfully exciting players to to, to watch. So, um, yeah, I'm sure loads of Saints fans who haven't <clears throat> managed to get down to St. Mary's yet or get along to the game will be looking forward to seeing Gineppo. Lots of people are probably looking forward to seeing Buffal kind of getting some game time as well and seeing if Ralph can make something more of him. Um who was who your man of the match for the game against Brighton? Uh, I mean, Gine- Gineppo's got to be uh, up there, isn't it? But I think I will probably go for Redmond. Uh, he was voted the official Premier League man of the match. And I think, you know, not only is, he, is his goal is up there to secure the victory, send us home with three points, but it's the work that he's doing off the ball. It's a link-up play, drawing defenders away. And he's obviously played 90 minutes, so perhaps that pips him ahead of Buffal and, and Gineppo in that sort of uh, nomination, if, if you like. And Redmond has looked lively this season as well in the three games that we played. Obviously, we know that he was the man of the uh, player of the season last year. And it looks like he's been, is now continuing that form into this season, which is great to see because uh, as a player like Redmond, we need him to be fit and firing on all cylinders. And if he can score again at the weekend, then... You know, he'll be, uh, uh, I guess, a cheap option for fantasy Premier League managers. Yeah, I mean, Freddie, I'm glad you brought up fantasy football. And I have no idea <clears throat> why you have, because your ah. Alpha Romeo 11... Um, I've had a stinker this week. Yeah, it's, it's not looking good. And actually, in the, in the league of Southampton FC podcasters, uh, you appear to be bottom of the table... And who's top? Just tell us all, John. Oh, uh, oh yeah, that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a rare moment, and I'm going to enjoy this moment before I kind of like lose interest and get bored and plummet down towards the towards the bottom of the table. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good week for me. Aguero, Redmond, Salah, and Jimenez mm. all getting the the big points for me. Um, <clears throat> so. Well, I mean, I I think this is good, isn't it? First three games of the season, we've seen a terrible performance against Burnley. Um, perhaps, you know, a little bit unlucky, but, you know, who, who doesn't know that when you go to Burnley, you're going to have to face wind and rain and hoofball. We should have been better prepared for it. Game against Liverpool could have been dead and buried in that game. We could have also got a point. And I think that's that's positive. And Brighton away started poorly, but came away with three points and played quite well towards the end. So a fairly mixed bag at the start of the season, but I think we're moving in the right direction. We're certainly improving. Um, yeah, look, uh, Saints notoriously slow starters, aren't we? I think there was a statistic doing the rounds before we kicked off uh, on Saturday 
How many games Southampton have lost in August in the Premier League era? 40. That's two more than the next uh, than the next team. I think it was Newcastle. And funny enough, they, they'd won at the weekend as well. So we're still top of that table in, in, point, in, in games lost in August. Um, let's hope we're not there. Uh, come five o'clock on 31st of August. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Before we get on to... This week's game, so I mean, obviously, we've got Fulham tomorrow night um, in the Carabao Cup. We've got Manchester United at the weekend. I wonder if we want to cover off some of the other happenings around St. Mary's. Fraser Forster has moved to Celtic on a year-long loan. Fraser Forster, I mean, we, we've talked about him so much, Fraser Forster, on this podcast in previous episodes. And I think, you know, rather than kind of like picking over the bones of what's gone wrong for him, I'd like to wish him luck in his move to Celtic. I genuinely hope it works out for him. And I, I've got to say that when he was at his best, I think he was one of the best goalkeepers I've ever seen. And I, I wonder, Freddie, if I can push you for a favourite memory of big Fraser Forster. Uh, I think one comes to mind is his, his 10 save thriller and the nil-nil classic at the Emirates about four years ago, I think three or four years ago in that run of, I think, 10 clean sheets. In fact, Fraser Forster went on to break the clean sheet record for Savannah Football Club that season, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Saints record so, holder. Uh, uh, indeed, that I think that game comes to mind. Uh, live long in the memories, and that will be that will be synonymously known as the Fraser Forster uh, heroic game, uh, stopping Ozil with his face from about three <laughs> yards out. You know, anything and everything that, that Arsenal shot his way, he managed to get uh, something of his big sort of man mountain frame on it. You know, I mean, um, it, but it, I think it, it was astonishing, wasn't it? I mean, pre- presumably, were you there, Freddie, in kind of behind the goal with the Saints fans in the Emirates? Because it was just like an onslaught, wave after yeah. wave of Arsenal attacks, and somehow, you know, even point blank ones, Fraser Forster was getting getting off the line, somehow scrabbling away. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a heroic performance uh, that night for Fraser Forster. Um, but unfortunately for him, he he's fell in. To, he fell out of favour, didn't he? He picked up a couple of niggling injuries, saw himself on the bench, and it kind of just spiralled from there, really. And he's worked so hard recently to actually get himself back into the first-team frame because we, he sort of fell off the face of the planet for about 12 months. Uh, we hear that he... He fell into a bit of depression, got into a dark state. So it's really great to see him sort of back, uh, I guess, healthy now, if you want to, if you want no one for a better word. And really good for him to get a a loan back to the club that he's he's obviously loved and adored sort of um, before he's come to Saints. So great to see him get on the field once again for Celtic. And, you know, as you say, we wish him good luck. He hasn't sort of really put a foot wrong. Obviously, there are mistakes that are notoriously known with Forster now over a couple of years. Uh, but I mean, let's uh, bask and I guess the highlights of him rather than sort of picking the bones from his faults. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Uh, you know, let's remember the good times because um, <clears throat> that that game against Arsenal, I will never ever forget. It was so so impressive. Um, so the next one I think I want to to talk about is there's been another out which happened a couple of weeks ago with Danny Roll leaving. Uh, Saints, he was Ralph Hasenhutl's assistant manager. Uh, but we've now got his replacement in, Richard Kitzbichler. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm not sure. Um, any knowledge of the new guy, Freddie? Uh, about as much as uh, about as much as you can write on the back of a poster stamp, to be honest. Um, 
So, uh, well, obviously, he's he's managed in Germany, hasn't he? He's uh, been an assistant with some of the big clubs over there. He's been away in China, one of the big clubs. But I think we we know he was a sports analyst, sort of scout. So he's got that fine sort of element to his game to really fine tune the details, and and I guess that's what Ralph is really looking for. Uh, looking for is someone that can find uh, go through the details in a fine tooth comb, if you like. Uh, to find any sort of faults and opportunities with the oppositions, with the current personnel. So I think he fits the system. He fits the philosophy of what Ralph was looking for. And I guess Ralph really wanted someone to get it. He wanted someone to understand the culture, in fact, of the football club. Yeah, I, th- I, I think that. And I think that's the the idea with um, with the new guy. So he's been brought in from Chinese Super League, which is obviously not necessarily a place that you'd expect uh, to be bringing in kind of assistant coaches. Uh, but he also, he, he worked at a different Red Bull um, mm. uh, previously to Ralph. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you've picked up on the kind of fine analysis. As, as well as being his first team assistant coach, he's also going to be the video opposition analyst coach. So he's going to be that's his kind of speciality is like looking at the opposition, picking out the finer details, understanding where the weak points are, understanding where Saints can exploit. So I think, you know, very welcome uh, addition to the side. Um, I I think, you know, it's invaluable in work to have someone who can kind of bounce ideas off and who you can trust 100%. You know, even if Ralph has kind of 100% confidence in what he's doing, just having another guy to sound ideas off is no doubt going to help and so I think that's going to be useful as well yeah 100% I think that's I guess that's what the fans were asking for as well in the recent fans forum you know by you know we trust him to do the job to his ability but we do worry about Ralph you know over he's a workaholic by by all means and I think what it is as well I guess what it is of almost any work uh, sort of way of uh, working you know you, you can see things in your own avenues you can see things in your own sort of way of seeing things but if you pass it on to somebody else to I guess analyze it or just evaluate it they they can see faults they can see opportunities so just great to see another person there another pair of eyes to sort of offer up offer uh, a different way of thinking offer different philosophies or you know a way of working so I mean good good to see another assistant in there Um, I don't think he'll be Oh, I think he's a first team assistant, not sort of necessarily the assistant manager. But Ralph has got a good team now, working in all different sort of uh, corners uh, of the of the football club. So I think he's he's got it covered. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it, one of the listeners, kind of uh, Neil Weston, he emailed in <clears throat> and was looking for a little bit of discussion on you know Danny Rolls' departure and how that might be affecting the squad, and he was worried, you know, a bit that. You know that role might be Ralph's Joachim uh, Low um, mm. or Love. I, I never know how you're supposed to pronounce his name. Joachim um, Love, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, the, it, you know Neil's kind of worry was that Roll might be the actual tactician behind organising the team and training and pre-match, and he was saying you know hope that wasn't the case, but I guess we're going to find out, aren't we? You know, Saints always start start the season badly, so I don't know how much we should read into. Uh, the game against Burnley, and I think we should just really probably be looking at the next few games um, where we're going to start to see, you know, what's Ralph done over the summer? What are we capable of this season? Um, I, I suppose a quick word on the game against Fulham. So Fulham 
Premier League season last season, Championships uh, team this season. Always a fantastic away day. A little bit gutted I'm not living in London anymore, Freddie, so I won't be making the trip across to Craven Cottage uh, tomorrow night. Are you heading up for that one? Uh, Well, we'll be with sort of 2000. It's sold out support. It's difficult for me personally because it's come straight after the bank holiday and we're back to work and the news will daily grind. Um, but we've been to Fulham now for the last sort of two years in one comp- competition and in the Premier League last season. So I think I've actually, in fact, has it been twice this year alone, is it? I don't know. I'm getting a bit too ahead of myself. But hey, Fulham's a good away day. Been there many times. Uh, and we'll be back by a sold-out Saints Port. Uh, they were sold quicker than hotcakes. A lot of people actually um, sort of uh, aggrieved, if you like, or disappointed, they didn't get notifications about the uh, the tickets are when the tickets were available. So, uh, a lot of people missing out. In fact, yeah, I mean, there is also the neutral stand as well. So, if you haven't yet got your ticket and you are, <clears throat> you know, sat there listening to this podcast on your commute in this morning, have a little look around because you might be able to get um, in the neutrals uh, section. Uh, I've heard well, some can rumors. I, can I jump in there, actually, yeah. John? Sorry, um, they're actually they've actually closed the Riverside stand which is where a lot of the sort of neutral tickets oh. were based. So that's why we're only we were given a lower allocation because I think last season and, and for the cup, we were given sort of the four blocks, the entire stand behind the goal in the Putney end, I believe. I did my research this morning. Uh, but it is the Riverside stand. They are it, it redeveloping that to increase the capacity and to increase, the, I guess, the economy around the football ground too. So that's why we're beginning a lower allocation uh, for Tuesday night's game. Oh, Freddie, there you go. Invaluable knowledge on the podcast. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, then none of this matters <laughs> to you. <laughs> and we should probably start talking about the Manchester United game on Saturday. I'm quite excited about this, Freddie. I mean, not least from the fact that I'm making the trip all the way from West Devon to St. Mary's. Um, but I actually think we've got quite a good chance of winning this. I've had my doubts about Solskjaer's ability as a football manager I don't think he has the um, even the same level of ability as our manager Ralph Hasenhutl probably not even as as much ability as Graham Potter although he comes from a similar sort of background now if Manchester United appointed Graham Potter as their first team coach Uh. (coughs) you know and that's that's not even taking into account him kind of managing Swansea for a bit people would have been like what who's this guy why are they appointing him Solskjaer is totally underqualified for his job as Manchester mm. United manager. They've oh. had their absolute shocker as well, haven't they? At, at, at the weekend of losing at home to Crystal Palace for the first time in like a hundred and bazillion years, yeah. at least since the 1980s. Yeah, I mean, to quote a famous phrase from a popular Manchester United fan channel, he got the job on a technicality. Uh Solskjaer, legend, Man United, but as you say, a hugely underqualified, I think only upon the recommendation of maybe the people on the board. And I think he got relegated with Cardiff. He's won a couple of leagues with uh, Mulder over in Norway. But what else has he done? You know, I mean, they got off to a flying start beginning of this Premier League season, 4-0 victory against Chelsea. And I thought they could build some consistency there. Uh, Followed up with a, was it a draw? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not following. Yeah, no, it's a draw. One, one, one against Wolverhampton Wanderers. With, That's uh, right on the Monday Paul night. Pogba taking a terrible penalty. I think it was more of a, a fantastic save, to be honest. Um, but 
Patricia's already obviously done his homework and even they've missed another penalty at the weekend against Crystal Palace. So they are not taking their chances. They've obviously sold Lukaku, who's, who uh, famously sort of, uh, or infamously, if you like, given us so many problems over the years, big brutish kind of heavy centre forward. And, and I remember last season in Mark Hughes' last game, Lukaku uh, t- tumbling over his own shoelaces, claiming for a foul. So we won't be seeing any, any of those uh, pantomimes uh, this weekend. No, I mean, I'm absolutely delighted that Lukaku is not going to be um, playing, to be honest, because he is a player that frightens me. Here's an interesting stat, Freddie. So I know you shouldn't read too much in the Premier League table after three games, <clears throat> but after three games, Manchester United are in fifth, which you think, OK, well, they're, they're doing quite well. Um, Southampton, after three games, are in 18th in the relegation zone. You're thinking, right, well, that's hopefully not going to be where we're going to be uh, finishing. But... What I think the really bizarre thing is, is between fourth, Leicester City and um, Newcastle in 19th, you've got every team has won one game. Yeah. And so we've got a range from, you know, three points, four points to five points. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a bizarre start to the season. Are we more evenly matched? Is this going to be one of those kind of like Leicester City seasons where... We see a couple of teams drop out of the big six and we start to see some of the mid-table teams making a bit more of a push towards the, the top half. I mean, I'm looking at that game against Manchester United. I'm feeling fairly confident. Um, I think our manager's better than the Manchester United manager. I think our manager's better than the Chelsea manager. I think our manager's probably better than the Leicester City and the um, Everton managers as well, who, who you'd kind of have up there as the, I suppose, the kind of best of the rest sort of group. Yeah, if you want to, I guess if you want to go through the rest of the league, I think this is probably the best opportunity that the best of the rest have got this season. You've got two hugely under-qualified managers in Man United and and Chelsea, both legends of their football club and got it on on the technicality and got it on the recommendation of who they know within the football club. So this is a fantastic opportunity for the likes. So I guess you can go to us to some extent, but I definitely will be pushing too closely for that division uh, of of the football clubs. But the likes of Leicester, Wolves, I think West Ham might be out there. Everton will want to be in that bracket too. We'll want to be pushing on for the top six. Yeah, and um, well, hopefully we can we can help keep things heading that way by uh, inflicting, a, you know, another defeat on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. What, what mm. do you think is going to be the key for Southampton? Is it going to be the pressing the Manchester United defence or is it just going to be the fact that they don't have Lukaku and they don't have that kind of like terrifying presence of the Manchester United teams of old? Well, they've lost that reputation now, haven't they? Um, they haven't got that uh, never-say-die attitude, the sort of Fergie time that you saw over 20-odd years. As soon as they lost Ferguson, they lost their identity, in my opinion. They went with a unproven again manager and they've taken huge gambles in the last sort of what six years since he's retired or so I think 2013 he retired and they've not been as fearsome as and as sort of unbeatable uh the the famous man united that we that you would know um we've got an opportunity now to take three points off another big six uh top six side um and i guess if they do finish up top six along with perhaps chelsea do we still call them a top six side or just because of their reputation? But look, we've got a victory over Tottenham last season, a victory over Arsenal. Who's to say that we can't do it this weekend? Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of think we will. 
to be honest that that's that's what I'm hoping for um yeah obviously as well I've, I've had to kind of like reach into my wallet and pick out uh 50 pounds Freddie to sit nah. behind the goal and watch nah. the Saints at home so upsetting um but at least I'm not in one of the sides paying 65 pounds anyway it's not a disgrace actually the 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 ticket uh system this season they, I mean, for people like you and maybe sort of handful of those hundreds of others that don't have, that can't afford, or in fact that live away from the city that can't afford to get to every game, you, they, they've priced you out, in my opinion, and it's a, a huge sort of sh- uh, bullet in the foot, if you like. They shot themselves in the foot, the football club, because well, I guess I understand what they're trying to do is trying to price out the away fans in the home sections, such as the Liverpool's, the Man United, the Chelsea's. Etc. That you get a lot of the sort of uh, people around any town will want to go see that their football club. But you've alienated a small section of the support. But I do understand and the reason why they are trying other things, and that's introducing the 399 season ticket. So over the course of a season, that would be effectively 21 pounds per game. But as for people like you and, and hundreds of others, uh, you're paying for a one-off game, which is going to cost you almost twice or three times as, as you would for an ordinary match, which is a huge shot, shot in the foot. And I think um, maybe there should be some sort of uh, discount in other areas just to kind of compensate for that. Because, you know, £50 is a lot of money for an adult ticket. I think a friend of mine uh, wanted to take his boy to Liverpool game, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and they wanted £80 for a one adult and one child. It's amazing. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I I totally get the the reason for. I mean, it's the the other thing as well is that I noticed with the tickets you couldn't buy it unless you had kind of history from like the two thousand thirteen fourteen seasons. So they're definitely trying to limit who can buy the the tickets, but I think that's the better way to do it rather than kind of these ridiculous prices. Because also, if you're a tourist <coughs> who is going to go and see Liverpool once in a year or whatever, or Manchester United once in a year, you're much more likely to pay 50 quid than perhaps the people like uh, myself or countless others who maybe go to like five or ten games a year where the price of the tickets really does make a difference. Anyway, I I don't want to get into a really big discussion about it because I think all Premier League ticket prices should be capped at the £30 like they've done for the away. I think it would make it so much better. I also think they should bring back safe standing, which would also make it so much better. Um, Freddie, what I want to get into now is some listener correspondence. How's the YouTube chat going? Is there anything that we want to pick up from that? Any questions yeah, that have come our way? We've seen a, a few comments now. Uh, actually, well, Martin just commented and said, hey, go and watch Eastley for £7.50. So, you know, there is there is a, a worrying trend, actually. A lot of Premier League uh, I guess former Premier League fans have gone to watch their non-league team and support non-league football, which is great to see that. You know, grassroots football, uh, you know, sort of booming now at the moment. And in fact, as we speak, I think the uh, Eastleigh were in fact on BT Sport this evening. Um, so there is a demand for it. Probably not a huge demand, but, uh, you know, great to see non-league football. And to be honest, I do like going out to the Eastleigh and other surrounding non-league football clubs when I can, when it doesn't clash with, with, with the Saints. Uh, but there are other questions coming here. Good to see Chris in the chat, uh, Matthew as well, commenting a few times. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion, uh, I guess, uh, um, how much Ralph would be worth if we get into the top 10 or top five. And we hear that he's the one of the top five highest paid managers in the league. Blimey, yeah. Okay. 
was it you know the, there's some interesting stuff to get and there's lots of comments about the ticket yeah ticket pricing um lots of people reckon we're going to win against manchester united that's good lots of people are kind of very positive about fraser forster uh, heading off to Celtic as well. On Twitter, we've had um, nice stuff from uh, a few kind of regular listeners like James, um, who, uh, this is the point where it all freezes, and Dan as well. Um, but also, we've had uh, Egil Stat and Leandre Griffith kind of been in contact on, on Twitter as well. So good to know that they're listening to the Saints FC podcast. That is excellent. Um, obviously, if you do want to get in contact with the Saints FC podcast, you can do saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. If we manage to do this live stuff on YouTube again, you can do it on the YouTube chat. We're also on Twitter at Saints FC podcast. Freddie, do you have any other business? Um, actually, yeah. Uh, in fact, whilst you are down in town, downtown on Saturday, we're having to catch up with the guys from the In That Number podcast. Uh, sort of like a podder's piss up if you like okay. <laughs> uh, after, after the game if we have time so I guess if anybody's around or, or sort of going to the game come find us at one of the local breweries either the Tappet or the Unity uh, Brewery literally right around the corner from the ground and supporting local brewers sounds like a fantastic idea right Freddie I'll let you say ta-ta to our <laughs> listeners ta-ta listeners cheerio everyone um, let's hope for two more wins this week <laughs>